Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is the premier hunting GPS app turning your phone into a mobile GPS. And the great thing about it is it works without service. So no service, no problem. You can access those saved maps that you have from anywhere and locate yourself in the wild. The GPS inside your mobile device works perfectly offline, and that's even when your phone's in airplane mode. So all you have to do is save the maps when you are in in service and preferably on Wi-Fi and have all that data on there, and you can access it from anywhere at any time. So check out onxmaps.com and the Onyx Hunt app. If you use the coupon code EMW, that'll save yourself 20% off of the Hunt app. University of Elk Hunting. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most comprehensive elk hunting learning course available. And they've done that through 17 different modules from the beginning phases of planning the hunt all the way through learning elk behavior to elk calling to the common struggles you deal with, how to pack out the animal, how to break it down. Everything that goes into elk hunting is in one place. You don't need to search forums and waste all this time. Everything's in one spot. And uh, I love the course. Been using it now for four years. University of Elk Hunting. Uh, check that out over at elk101.com. If you use the coupon code East Meets West, that will save yourself 20% off of a one-year subscription. Tethered. So Tethered has come out with the most, the lightest weight saddle hunting setup available and they've done that through really wanting to create quality gear to the saddle hunting community because there just wasn't enough resources out there and there was nobody really making saddle specific gear that that had innovation to it that had thought behind it that really put the hunter and and comfort into mind so tethered came out with the most mobile stealthy and also safest elevated hunting platform and gear on the planet so if you head over to tetherednation.com you can not only check out their products but you can learn about saddle hunting in which for me um, when i was looking at getting into it last year i spent a lot of time on the tethered website and some of their links to youtube content ton of great information there and really can help you kind of learn to see if you think saddle hunting might be for you and for me, just being needing to be mobile and pack into the mountains in different places, this was uh, an ideal setup. And um, I can't wait to get into my second year with it here this year. So again, head over to tetherednation.com to check that out. And I want to go over today's Mountain Buck Monday story brought to you on Tuesday, as always. So the the Mountain Buck Monday post will be over on Instagram and Facebook, um, where you can see the, the photo that goes along with this story here. So this story is from Jared Wood. So Jared said, 2019 was my first year hunting in Pennsylvania after getting out of the military. So I was starting from ground level and spending most of the preseason trying to scout areas I used to hunt and gather intel on what might be hanging around. I spent the early part of the season chasing two shooters on a small piece of private ground my family owns 
oftentimes missing them by 30 minutes or sitting in the wrong stand as they pass in front of my camera 200 yards away. Heading to the last two weeks of the season, I was getting frustrated and I knew I had to get aggressive. I decided to leave work early on Friday, November 8th to push deep into an old clear cut. I knew Bucks liked to relocate to as the rut kicked off to see if I could find some hot sign. Right away, I found two massive rubs and knew that whatever made them would be a buck worth shooting. Unfortunately, the clear cut was an age where there were few climbable trees and the surrounding beach brush was so thick that shooting from the few trees available was virtually non-existent. I immediately backed out and decided to take a chance by sitting on the ground just above a community scrape coming off a betting point hoping to catch that big guy early the next morning. At 9.30 a.m., I hear a a stick snap and catch a main beam in the brush, and that was all I needed to see. He stepped out to work the scrape, and I put a Montec right through the boiler room. This mountain monarch scored just under 135 inches and field-dressed over 200 pounds. I couldn't have asked for a better deer taking my first season back in the state. It was thankful that just for once, everything worked out as it planned. And I really strongly urge everyone to head over to the East Meets West Hunt Instagram and Facebook page to check out this photo of Jared's buck. This thing is a freaking stud and an awesome story of a, a, you know, I, I guess you couldn't ask for a better big wood setup. I love everything about it. Community scrape logging cuts bedding points everything in there uh just had a really you know perfect scenario a perfect storm i guess for it so check that out and thanks for sending that in jared if you have a mountain buck story that you want to send in send it over to my email at bow at eastmeetswesthunt.com or shoot me a message on instagram is probably the best way to, to be able to get a hold of me there and uh, last week, I don't know if you got to catch the the last of the Mountain Buck Scouting series. It's the last episode released on scouting and hunting buck bedding. So this is all about buck bedding in hill country and steep country. And uh, so that's the last of the series. The first one was an overview of how to navigate Onyx uh, for hunting publicly and whitetails. The second one was understanding what to look for to to scout online and put together boots on the ground game plan and the third one got into timber cuts and explaining all the different years of timber cuts how i hunt them how i set up on them running trail cameras the whole bit then i jumped into episode four which was on hunting creek bottoms in a beaver pond beaver the creek bottom thermals how to set up how to scout it Everything involved there, and the last one had to do with buck bedding. And this one is, you know, full of a lot of information that I've learned throughout the years from people a lot smarter than myself, and and also just from experience of living and hunting in these areas for my whole life. Um, just about the thermals, how they're using the terrain to bed, how they're using the vegetation, and kind of how I set up based on the time of year. So check out those videos. They're on my YouTube, just my name, Bo Martonic, and uh, you can find all of those videos there. I plan on doing some more YouTube content, so subscribe, and if you like it, give it a, the videos a thumbs up and a share. That really, really helps out a ton. So far, uh, turkey season here has been somewhat of a struggle. I've, uh, I've had more uh, chances or, uh, I guess, opportunities than uh, I could ask for. I mean, it's been great, but I've just been getting just screwed up by other hunters. It's been 
crazy how many people have been in the woods. And I'm sure a lot of it correlates to everything with the coronavirus and people being off work and being able to get outside, which is, which is great. It's just been tough. <laughs> I, uh, I, I've, yeah, I've had some really, uh, interesting situations last week. I had a hunter come right up behind me and literally got like three feet from me as it was just getting light. And, you know, he, I, you know, showed him I was there and he said, sorry. And him and his kid turned around and walked away and then just did a big loop around me about 30 yards. And then went directly in front of me. I was set up 60 yards from this roosted gobbler. Third time I set up on this bird and he blew it right out of the tree, walked in front of me, you know, so one showing his kid how to be unethical and unsportsmanlike and two being extremely unsafe by walking in front of me as I'm sitting there with a loaded shotgun and him and his kid go to set up in front of me, which is absolutely just ridiculous at that point and, and blew my mind. But, um, yeah, that's, that's how, I guess how some people are, but anyways, um, then this past weekend, I, I had a really, uh, interesting experience with, I saw this coyote on this gas line about 400 yards out. And at the time I thought he was looking at a couple turkeys that were up on the, the very top of the gas line. But what I ended up finding out was they were decoys of other hunters. Coyote must've winded the hunter, but went in the woods and I skirted around to try to cut off the, the coyote and call him in. I only, I mean, in two minutes, that coyote had to have covered like 400 yards because like, well, it did cover 400 yards, but I wasn't, I didn't think he'd move that fast. And I pulled out my phone, uh, text my dad back and had my gun on my shoulder. And I look up and that coyote's at five yards, literally five yards from me, right to the left. Him and I both saw each other or her, whatever it was at the same exact time. And I dropped my phone, grabbed my gun off my shoulder, and it took off. And it was just weaving in and out of an old clear cut. And I had a couple windows where I could have potentially shot, but I, I opted not to. And uh, it went away. But it was it was crazy, crazy experience. But, um, yeah, so turkey season's still going on for me here. Got, uh, we're halfway point of the season. But um, I won't get a whole lot of time to hunt from here on out. I've hunted almost every single morning up to this point, but uh, have a lot of busy stuff going on with my day job and with uh, working on my house and doing some other stuff. So it's uh, one of those things that turkey season doesn't really mean a whole lot to me compared to some of the whitetail season, elk season and stuff like that. So got to, you know, prioritize things. And so that's what I'm going to do here and, you know, step back a little bit from turkey hunting, but still hopefully be able to, to get out and get a shot at one. But uh, anyways, this episode is with Jason Red. So Jason is the one of the owners, um, founders of Timber Ninja Outdoors, um, which is a company that's just coming out with some really, really cool products. And, and you know, I had Jason on one because of his design with these new ultralight carbon fiber cl- uh, climbing sticks. But uh, more than that, he's just a passionate mountain whitetail and mountain hunter all in general um, and coming out of the the hills around Asheville, North Carolina. And I want to have Jason on again just to talk uh, some hunting stories. On this one, we dive really deep into gear, into ultralight hunting gear, um, some about his new sticks coming out, which I believe are dropping this week. So uh, they are just 
absolutely incredibly light. Um, he just since this since we recorded this podcast, he got him. He took him in to get tested and had 600 pounds of weight uh, pulling on them and it worked flawlessly. He was able to take it all apart, put the steps back together, and they still functioned the way they should. So that's incredible where most tree stands and some components aren't tested at all, which is was mind-blowing to me when Jason shared that. But uh, he went above and beyond to prove that these carbon fiber sticks are, are tough and they're the real deal. So uh, I'm pumped to see them coming out. I'm giving them a, a try this year. They uh, the, just the the weight in in general like that is just so so amazing. It would be so lightweight. So if you're looking at the sticks, and I, th- I want to say off the top of my head, uh, probably a little bit off here, but 1.4 pounds or so a piece. Um, so you're you're looking at you know 2.8 pounds for a couple of them. You're looking under six pounds for all four sticks. Let's put it that way. Five and a half pounds, and then three pounds for my saddle platform. That is just unbelievably light to have a full mobile hunting setup. Um, so really excited to to check these sticks out when they when they come out and put them through the ringer. But uh, anyways, I hope that everyone enjoys this episode and is doing well. Uh, we're halfway through May here, which is crazy. Hope preparation's going good. If you've got some western hunts coming up, or you're getting ready for for uh, the mountain whitetail season here this fall. Whatever it might be, whatever your goals are, hope that uh, you're staying on track with everything and and uh, keeping after it. So, thanks for listening, and hope you enjoy this one. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast, and tonight I'm joined on the line by Jason Red. What's going on, man? Doing well, man. Hope you are. Yeah, yeah, not not too bad at all. As I was telling you a little bit here, um, it's at the end of April's, or I guess, yeah, towards the end of April, we're recording this and got some snow flurries going going on outside, and I'm about sick of that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Living here in the mountains, our our spring has been quite interesting too. Uh, we haven't had as much spring snow, but it's like been a lot of days of mornings of you know high thirties, low forties, but then you know days of eighties. And yeah, it's been it's been a wild spring, but hey, it's been a wild year period. So I'm not really complaining about the weather. Yeah, and and you're you're down in the the mountains of Western North Carolina, there, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, I live in Asheville, North Carolina. So the Western part of, of, uh, North Carolina here in the mountains. Um, I mean, essentially, I guess, you know, some of the larger mountains east of the Mississippi. So yeah, it's a good place to live for sure. Yeah. I was just, I was down there. What was it? A few months ago, right before all this, the stuff with the coronavirus came around and, and, uh, you helped me out with finding some places to visit and check out in the Asheville area. I'd rented a, a cabin down there with my girlfriend and, and, uh, yeah, it's such a beautiful, beautiful area. I mean, the, the mountains down there are huge too. Yeah. They don't really get the credit sometimes from what people from out West that haven't been here. I've spent a lot of time, you know, mountains all over, you know, North and Central America. And I'll have to say these mountains here, they're, they're rough. I mean, a lot of historians, I guess, or geologists say that, you know, the mountains, the Appalachian mountains themselves were some of the highest points. And, you know, we have Mount Mitchell here, which is the highest point, I guess, technically east of the Mississippi. And, you know, they say, you know, that at one time it was 
you know, higher than Everest, but it's just weathered down over, you know, ages. But the the interesting thing that we have here is just the gradient so steep and we have so much, um, you know, uh, so many trees and leaves that, that it's really challenging, you know, in some of that steep grade to walk up, you know, you slip a lot and yeah, it's, it's pre- it can get pretty intense here, but we, we, we don't have altitude, you know, like you do out West. So you don't have to really worry about that, but yeah, it's a beautiful place. You know, you can, you can keep yourself occupied here. There's, we have tons of recreational activities, you know, even outside of hunting. So it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And, and I always laugh about that with the East coast, you know, like you said, we don't really get, the credit for the, you know, the terrain and stuff, it's definitely, you're not dealing with altitude and stuff, but I'd say it's arguably more difficult in some areas to, to hike and, and to get into places because you're not only dealing with the steepness, but you're dealing with the oak leaves and everything else that are on top of the, the rocks underneath or whatever, and just make it extremely slippery. You add a little bit of snow to that. And it's just like, it's sometimes it feels like you're taking, you know, two steps forward and three steps back. Yeah, for sure. You, you, <clears throat> a lot of my hunts, uh, if we get some snow here, which we do, we do get a lot of snow, you know, periodically, nothing that really hangs around. You, you know, if you're some of the places I go into, uh, you have, you know, I start up, you know, I have some spots I like off the Blue Ridge Parkway. I think you maybe drove down that, but it's really steep off of there, and I, I access off there, and you know you can lose 1,200 feet of elevation in a matter of like a mile and a half. So coming back out of that stuff, we, I packed a buck out in 18, and um, we'd had a big snow, and uh, I finally was able to get up there because of the snow in my truck, and then access, and you know essentially you need micro spikes and hiking sticks to you know to, to, to do you know not have happen what you were talking about you know move up three foot slide back to but uh yeah it's micro spikes are definitely something to keep in your pack around here for getting out especially if you're you know under a load yeah that's that's crazy and yeah and it's like you said right there 1200 foot of elevation you know gain or loss and over a mile and a half is no joke <laughs> that's that's some serious no. country <laughs> Yeah, it's intense. Like I've I've ran ultras in a lot of the western states and here and it it's um these will get you, man. Like uh just like you were saying, you know, leaves are a problem. Also there's you know, you get a little bit of moisture and it's real rooty out here because we have so much canopy and you know, like the roots are slick and you know, on trails it's just yeah, it's a nightmare out west, you know, usually you know you're dealing with shale or something like that. But um it's uh you know, the altitudes are the thing that really kicks me when I get out there until I get really adapted, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, before we jump into this, uh, any further here, Jason, do you want to give a little bit of a background on yourself and kind of, you know, what, why I'm, I'm talking to you here today? Yeah. So I was actually born and raised, uh, not in the mountains. I was born in Arkansas in the Mississippi river bottoms in the Delta, uh, grew up, you know, real rural town there, not far from Memphis, Tennessee. And, um, you know, spent most of my life down there, you know, duck hunting, deer hunting, you know, raccoon hunting. I mean, we, we, we did everything, uh, fished, you know, year round hunting and fishing was kind of my thing. And I honestly got into sports and I didn't stick with sports because, you know, like football season always interrupted deer season and duck season. And I just stuck with that. And, um, always grew up uh hunting public land 
mainly there, uh, you know, my family, we didn't have a lot of money or anything. So there was really the only choice we had. And we just really fell in love with that style because, you know, we had so many places to go and, you know, where I actually was, you know, we lived, we didn't have a lot of, um, it was a lot of this rice fields and stuff like that. So we actually had to travel to go hunt and, uh, you know, just always was a venture, you know, to me, like getting to go camp as a kid, you know, and deer camp and all these things is always really cool. Squirrel camp, you know, we actually used to go to squirrel camp, which that's, is a thing in some areas and, um, you know, turkey hunting, duck hunting, but, um, you know, moved from there to Tennessee, to Western Tennessee, not far, but, um, you know, kind of continued doing the same thing and, uh, had my mom remarried and had some relatives uh, through marriage that were just, in my opinion, probably some of the, the best woodsmen I've ever met. Actually, taught me a ton about deer hunting, uh, you know, to a different degree, and you know, turkey hunting especially. They were probably some of the best turkey hunters I've ever met in my life. Um, actually, were the first people to teach me to wear tennis shoes to turkey hunt, and you know, we had to cross a lot of slews and stuff in the river bottoms down there so you're gonna get wet regardless so you might as well be in tennis shoes where you could be quiet walking but um you know i was lived there until i was about 28 and uh had a you know like a professional job per se and uh actually they relocated me to the mountains of um western north carolina and um that's actually our son he's uh 11 years old now and that you know, he pretty much, we moved here when he was six months old and, uh, moving out here, um, you know, really gained an appreciation for the mountains. Um, well, let me back up, um, through a lot of that period, I also got into racing bicycles, uh, like, you know, road bicycles, like Lance Armstrong style stuff and, um, uh, spent a lot of time traveling the country, racing, doing that, you know, got fit and kind of really developed, a another hobby, you know, I still hunted in the off season of cycling and, but didn't take it as serious then. And, and then also that progressed into ultra running and, uh, did that for a long time. Still do. I don't race anymore, but I do a lot of ultra running and, but, um, anyway, you know, moved to the mountains and, uh, really found appreciation for living in the mountains and took on a few other hobbies and, got a lot more serious about hunting again once I moved here. Um, and also, you know, found rock climbing and traveled around the country and, uh, climbing mountains with buddies and, you know, in the winters I was hunting and, you know, and then just, you know, pretty much my whole life revolves around spending out time outdoors, chasing adventures. Uh, and, you know, fast forward today, you know, been back hunting extremely hard for you know at least the last 11 years and um but the thing that i learned from uh doing all these like adventures and and stuff like that was that i wanted to make my hunting style adventurous and fortunately here in the mountains you know we can do that you know most of my hunts here we have tons of backcountry i mean we have pisgah national forest which is like 275,000 acres so um you know, it's a, it's essentially an outdoorsman's playground, and uh, and for a hunter, you know, you have tons of you know public land at your fingertips that you can get away from people, and um, so you know, yeah, I just continued to travel, hunt. You know, I hunt a lot of different states. Uh, I was telling you earlier, I hunt Ohio, uh, Kentucky, some 
West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, and recently started hunting the swamps of South Carolina. And, um, yeah, and through all that, you know, started seeing things that, you know, with my systems and stuff like that, you know, as far as being efficient as a mobile backcountry hunter and, um, led me to the endeavor that I'm currently in, which is Timber Ninja Outdoors. It's, um, you know, essentially a, a mobile hunting company, you know, we're starting out with just, uh, carbon fiber sticks and we have some other products in the pipeline, tree stand, uh, a few other things that we'll be releasing this year if everything keeps going the way it is, um, before the hunting season. So, yeah, well, that's, that's super intriguing to me. I mean, the, the, when I first, I don't even know how I came across, uh, your Instagram page, but, um, you know, it, it was, you know, there's your sticks were the first thing, obviously, which is your, your product that you're coming out with. It sounds like sooner than, than others, but that caught my eye because they're carbon fiber, but not only that, but just like your page is filled with, you know, mountain hunting stuff in, in North Carolina. And I felt like there was like a strong connection to a lot of the things that, you know, I'm doing and a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are, are doing and just that, you know, adventure style that you kind of get from, um, what you typically get, I guess, from Western hunts and not as, not as much, I guess, known for in the East, but in reality throughout the Appalachian region is, is, is just as, as wild and has just as many opportunities for, you know, those backcountry endeavors like, like you were stating there. So with, with that being said, dive a little bit more into, uh, these sticks that you're coming out with because they are, they are definitely, you know, their own, their own in the, in this field. That's for sure. Yeah. So, you know, that was the first product that I determined and, you know, a little bit of back history on that, like the whole, sticks like i never had any really intentions of starting a company i, I mean i have a two companies I operate now and i really didn't feel like throwing a new one on on top of that but i felt like i needed um the the, the product that we were dealing with and i was using needed some improvement and uh, you know weight was one thing packability was another thing that i ran into like you know, a lot of my hunts, um, I use a frame style backpack, uh, you know, even, I mean, really, I don't, I, I pretty much carry a frame style backpack on every hunt I go on. Like it's just, it's kind of became a part of my kit that just never leaves. And, um, you know, the problem I was running into, um, years ago was all the sticks, you know, were accommodating and getting you higher. So they're always pretty long and, you know, I think a lot of people weren't really backpacking with sticks back then. So like the stacking feature wasn't that important, important, you know, like they all kind of stack, but not really good. Uh, they would, you know, you bump them, they would crumble in your hand, even though they had a strap on, on you know what I mean? Um, and you know, the, the longer sticks also, you know, you put them on your pack, you're walking through the woods. Um, they were getting hung up in, you know, branches and, briars and things like that and here in the mountains we have a lot of uh, laurel and uh, rhododendron which is a very woody type you know tree plant essentially and you get hung up in those things like you pretty much got to take your back you know your pack off or back up 
you know, back up and get out of them. So, um, you know, I just started looking into like, what, what could I do for myself to make it more efficient for me to move through the woods and, you know, be very stealthy. I mean, that was like number one. Also, obviously weight, uh, you know, how could I make this product lighter for myself? And, um, I had a lot of experience with carbon fiber just because when I started racing bicycles, it was really during that transition of going from, um, road bikes and, you know, and even mountain bikes were going from being made out of aluminum and other alloys to going to carbon fiber. And, uh, I've talked about this before, but, you know, people just don't understand the amount of power, like a high level athletes able, able to put into you know, the components on that bike and to the structure and integrity of that frame. So, you know, to see those things, that type of um, material transition happen in cycling and also other, you know, tons of other sports, you know, carbon fiber was the thing that I was like, well, if I was going to make a product, you know, try to make it out of carbon fiber. And I did a lot of research on it. I mean, I've read a lot of forums, uh, people talking about they tried to, make carbon fiber sticks and things, but not, nobody ever been very successful with it for, you know, whatever reason. But a lot of people, I don't know, remember this, but actually old man tree stands had a carbon fiber climbing stand at one time. And, um, you know, old man tree stands was actually acquired by a larger, I guess, capital investment firm or whatever, but they actually did away with that line. And, um, to my understanding, it was a very profitable, uh, product segment group for old man. Uh, but you know, for whatever reason, I I don't know what that was, you know, they, they didn't continue. So, you know, this isn't necessarily something new to the hunting industry, but, um, so anyway, uh, we started working on the sticks or I started working on the sticks for myself, um, over a year ago and played with prototypes, you know, in the off season. And then I, you know, I had a lot of failures to be honest with you. Like it's not as simple as, people think you can't just go drill a hole into carbon fiber tube and slap um, steps and setbacks on it and you're good to go like you have to treat it properly and there's some things I learned and it's it's definitely not a a very economical learning process so (laughs) I actually consulted um, I have a customer through my day job that is a department of defense contractor he makes carbon fiber parts for um, helicopters and, you know, other type of, you know, DOD type um, products. And I talked to him about doing it and um, he was really interested and he actually gave me a lot of guidance and um, got me going down the path of doing it myself because essentially, you know, his hourly rate for what they do at their facility just wouldn't make sense of being able to bring something to market. So he, he really helped us out, uh, in developing this product. So we started with the sticks and, you know, we, we've got finally gotten to a point of, I've hunted my sticks, uh, all year and, you know, torture tested them through last spring. And, and we've definitely made some changes in a few different areas, but, um, overall what I was trying to accomplish with the stick outside of, being, you know, packable, uh, you know, a little bit lighter weight also wanted it to, to nest very securely. And so our stick, uh, it actually nests um, into the, into the steps, uh, cause our product is a, a, a fixed step, fixed setback design. I don't like moving parts. Uh, personally, I don't want to have to like fiddle with 
you know, setting my, you know, swiveling my step and step back and tightening it down, you know, cause things can happen in, in my opinion. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't experience this, but you know, you can get dirt and grime, you, you know, you could get rained on and you start having, um, you know, freezing happen happening and stuff like that. I just don't want to have to deal with that. So, um, doing a fixed type stick was, was what was most important to me for this way I hunt. And, uh, so our product is, uh, it's a fixed, uh, we have a 20 inch version and then we have a 24 inch version and, you know, it's not a hundred percent carbon fiber. The, the tube itself is carbon fiber, but our, our steps and our set, our, our steps and our Versa button are actually a polymer based product. That's, you know, I have had some people ask me questions about that, but it, it is a polymer. That's one of the strongest made that is actually used in a lot of machine applications in place of aluminum. So it, um, it performs very well in those environments. And, but then our, our, uh, setback that we designed is made out of, um, aluminum. So, I mean, cause essentially polymers aren't going to bite into a tree very well. You gotta have metal, but yeah, so that's the first uh, products that we'll be releasing is the stick. I mean, the 20 inch weighs in at like 1.2 pounds. Um, we do have a video that's an overview on our YouTube page uh, that we do a description of it and kind of show some other features and benefits, which not only did I want the product to be very stackable and lightweight and compact, but also try to limit as much noise as possible. You know how aluminum clangs carry in the woods when it's cold outside, um, and so our product, I, I do a little demonstration of that. And it's funny, like a lot of people say it sounds like a, a plastic rattling antler set. Um, and um, and beyond that, the thermal advantages of carbon fiber are pretty superior to like, you know how, like I'm sure you walk and pack in and, and it gets colder in PA than it does down here. You know, your fingers get cold and you get to... <laughs> you know do your setup and you you know you take your glove off if that's the way you do it or even if you're wearing thin gloves for better dexterity like you know aluminum gets cold really quick um and so touching that stuff is can can be a pain you know if your fingers are already tight and swollen but um you know it's another advantage of carbon fibers it doesn't you know transfer cold and or heat you know to any degree which we don't really deal with as much heat but mainly cold is a problem yeah you know that's it's funny you say that about the um with the aluminum being so cold, this same thing, like with my, with my bow, my grip is mostly aluminum there. So what I had to do was take, I, I took like a, a medical wrap and wrapped around it at first to add a little bit of like an insulation and then wrapped it with hockey tape. <laughs> Cause you know, like I, I wear thin gloves and that would get super cold when you're sitting in a tree stand all day and the same thing nothing is worse than coming down and grabbing a hold of your sticks and trying to put them uh trying to you know pack them back up as you're going down the tree and your hands are freezing cold by grabbing onto them i can see where that would be an advantage for sure yeah it is i mean you think especially guys that hunt in the midwest like i hunt ohio a pretty good bit and i've been out there and you know like the january late january hunts and you know you're negative single digits i mean that's it, you know those little little bits of improvement you know can help your your overall success you know like uh yeah i i you know i, I wouldn't say that was intentional you know it was just something that kind of came to 
came to present itself after we started developing it and I started using them. I was like, Hey, you know, like my hands don't get colder, uh, when I, you know, or it doesn't feel as cold when I'm touching these, when I'm setting them up there on a cold day. So cool. I mean, there's a lot of things and that, you know, carbon fiber brings and ultimately, you know, I just hope this changes the way of thinking. I mean, a lot of the products we use today are essentially, uh, renditions of, um, of the same stuff. I mean, everybody's using pretty much the same alloys. They're just doing certain, you know, different things to it. You know what I mean? So hopefully if anything, this, you know, creates more people to start getting more innovative and using different types of materials. Cause there's a lot of, you know, man-made materials out there that definitely, you know, do as good or better job than, you know, alloys for sure. Yeah. I, I love that, that, you know, you're pulling things from different industries, you know, stuff you learned in cycling and, and some others stuff there. It's, it's funny because I mean, Usually on most things, it seems like the hunting industry is behind other industries and some sort of technologies and and engineering. I mean, even when you look at how long it took for people to really grasp onto the like technical clothing, uh, and you know, yeah, a lot, you know, basically, you know, a lot of the technical clothing companies like Sitka and the others are have you know taken a lot of that technology that's been around. Um, and then just kind of adapted it to hunting now, but, you know, it came from other industries and other, you know, outdoor endeavors that, that had been, you know, a little bit further ahead with that. And, you know, if you're just looking in your own circle, it's easy to get kind of caught up in thinking that, you know, you're maxed out in a certain way where if you kind of reach out and open your mind up a little bit to different ideas, it's, it's pretty amazing that, uh, what you can come up with. Yeah. I mean, speaking of clothing, you know, like you look at like for us to stay warm, I mean, let's even say 10 years ago in the hunting industry, how much pack space that took. If you, you know, <laughs> like for me, I have, I have, to, I have to go in light, you know, essentially I've talked about this in some videos I've done on our YouTube page about going in like hunting back country. Um, if you start your hike off and you're not cold a little bit, you're overdressed, right? So you have to have your layering system. And I, and I honestly, I learned a lot about layering systems from, you know, mountaineering and, and, and rock climbing and doing other things outdoors. Like all these, you know, mountaineering companies have been doing this stuff for ages, right? You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's almost comical that the hunting industry didn't pick up on it sooner. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, nowadays I pretty much just wear, you know, down, you know, with some base layer materials, but down is like my, my main insulator. And then, you know, even now there's down with a lot better shells on it that you don't even need a windbreaker, you know, or a rain barrier, or even the treated down, you know what I mean? And then, and then you have all these new synthetics. It's yeah. Clothing, hunting, you know, all hunting equipment's just, it's making, has made a huge jump. And I would say, I mean, last five years, if not even less, like the, every year it just keeps making better strides. Um, so it's cool. I, you know, I hope we bec can become a part of that and maybe a trendsetter. And, you know, even beyond that, like you were saying, from the engineering and everything perspective, also from the safety perspective, I mean, it, there's third-party testing on tree stands and other um, what I call at-height products is not mandatory, you know, which is kind of it, it baffles me a little bit because I, my main business, I'm in the safety and industrial world and I train, teach and sell fall protection is one of the companies I represent. 
And, you know, everything we do in, in the industrial sector has to be third-party tested, uh, especially, you know, at height, even gloves, you know, for cut-resistant gloves, you know, every, safety glasses, everything has to be third-party. So I, I hope over time we start to see that in the hunting industry, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we we definitely have rooms for improvement. And, um, yeah, I, you know, if we're able to, you know, gain some traction with products, I, I would definitely love to help help in that as well. That's it's funny you say that. That's in my my day job. I'm an environmental and safety engineer, so that's part of my oh, okay. my daily um, daily work too. And is, is seeing that, and yeah, definitely, it's crazy to hear that you know some of those products are there's, that there's no regulations on having that third party testing, which you know kind of blows my mind a little bit, and kind of was leading to a question that I had. Uh, I'm sure that you've you know gotten this already, but like with your products may, being made out of carbon fiber, you know what you're doing to test that and make sure that the 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 strength is the the same as that of aluminum, if not better. I'm not sure of that. Have you done certain testing within that? Yeah, we've done our own testing, but I actually am taking it next week to be tested in a a, a TMA lab. Um, it just you know, for full disclosure, um, us as a company at this time, we we don't really have any intentions of um, joining TMA. But I do feel that the standards that they test their products are are pretty good. You know, what I mean, like they are a lot of ANSI accredited type tests. So uh, I'm actually taking those there next week. I mean, they've they've passed all the weight load tests that we've done. Um, you know, in house, like you know, let's call it garage torture test, but I, I really, I want the third party, um, testing before I really start selling the people, which, you know, we're, we're at that point now and we've got everything dialed. So, um, we're, I'm just working out the time next week to actually drive them down there. It's not far. It's, it's in Georgia, which only about three or four hours. Oh, okay. That's not, that's not too bad. And so another, another thing you mentioned with these sticks is, you know, being, shorter you know the 20 to 24 inch length and up to this point i've only used full length sticks and have experienced the you know the issue of getting caught up um whether that's mountain laurel whether that's me going through older clear cuts beach brush whatever that is it's it can be a pain in the ass when you're going in with your headlamp on or whatever that is and getting caught up on things um but the thing i always had um, a concern with was okay with the shorter sticks do you need more of them how how are you getting to say at height whatever that might be and uh, you know with with the shorter sticks well i mean i think that's up to the user personally like my me i i, I rarely hunt over 10 or 12 feet i mean it's very rare that i find myself hunting higher than that uh i i try to use other elements um you know i try to blend in more i I like to find trees that fork or you know i love a a tree that wise and i can get in the crotch of it with some good back cover i I do primarily my main strategy for hunting is i I like to hunt bucks in their beds um which i've been doing that most of my life it really didn't know what i was doing i just always hunted the thickest areas i could find and you know and was able to kill bucks doing that but you know, over time I learned that's like, well, you know, that's where, you know, you find these solitary areas that's thick. That's kind of where these bucks live. And, and, and another thing, you know, for my setups, I always position a tree in between me and, 
and where I think he's bad. I mean, 90% of the time and most of the bucks I've killed, I knew exactly where he's coming from. And I like to have that tree there. So that gives you some more concealment. But to answer your question, uh, for the shorter sticks, I mean, there's tons of aider options out there. Uh, you know, people are using aiders with the shorter sticks. And it's funny, I, I get messages like, well, hey, are you going to be releasing, you know, a shorty like a like a 16-inch stick? And I was like, well, what does four inches matter? I have a 20 and a 24. And I was like, yeah, I can easily make you a 16. Like I'm actually making a custom stick right now for a guy that's doing me a favor on, um, working on a product for me. Uh, he's a one step, one stick guy. And, uh, he like, I'm making him a, I'm making him a 10 inch, um, stick actually. And so, yeah, we can eat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not my thing. Like, um, I do what we call the rad system sometimes where I throw a rope and fix it and, and jug a fixed rope without any sticks to set up a stand. And I, I really, I love that method because you're always a hundred percent in, you know, like far as uh, from a protection perspective and you just repel off at the end of the day and, you know, you can hang on that line, but the whole one stick thing seems like a lot of work for me, but you know, Hey, everybody has their own things that they like, but um, there are a lot of aider options for these shorter sticks to, to get you higher if, if you want to do that. And, you know, I, you probably saw the video I posted last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an aider cup. We have an aider option that I was toying with because I had a lot of guys. To your point, ask me. You know, a lot of people are going to the short sticks, right? But a lot of people are using aiders, and they're like, "Hey, how can we accommodate an aider in your sticks?" And um, guys asked me if I could drill holes in the steps for they could, you know, run am steel type aiders. And uh, the thing I don't like about the the soft type aiders like that. And, you know, I just know this from, you know, using um, aiders for rock climbing, you know, when you're jugging up a, a wall, like if it's on a, a fixed line or something like that, is, you know, it, it's hard to find your footing in there, especially in the dark, right? And uh, so I just got to thinking, like, how can we do something that would be kind of cool and compact, kind of fit our model of, you know, the products that we're making, you know? Uh, and, you know, the thing I just released the other day I was showing was an option that we're looking at where you use a, it's a cable, a retracting type cable. So essentially with that design, we were able to get 35 inches out of a 20 inch stick, but still keep it at 1.6 pounds. And um, so we looked at that as far as retractable. And um, actually I just set up another retractable option today that was kind of like option two that I was going to look at. And uh, I'm really liking this one more because um, I, I still I'm using a little bit of cable, but I actually incorporated some product to to take all the noise out. I mean, because you know I use the hashtag hunt like a ninja uh, all the time, and a ninja stealth, right? So I try to keep as much noise and and you know anything like that out as we can. And I'm really liking this this um, generation two that I played with. So, um, so to get the most out of your sticks, the aiders is the easiest way to go without, you know, getting a longer stick and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. That's, I saw you playing with that. Uh, I think it was on your Instagram story or, or something the other day, or maybe just on your Instagram, but it looked, I, I liked that option and I've, I've never used aiders myself, but I've, it's intrigued me in the last couple of years. Just haven't, haven't just tried, haven't played with it. But, uh, you know, as looking at, you know, going to something that's a little shorter, I mean, I, I don't go, 
I don't go high in trees normally anyways. The highest I'm going is 17, 18 feet. Most of the time I'm yeah. in the 12 to 14 foot range, I'd say. Um, and the same thing, like what you do, I look for funky trees and kind of just mess around and climb in them. I like, you know, if I find a good hemlock tree that I can use a couple sticks and climb branches or whatever, I, you know, whatever it yeah. takes to, to do that. I'd rather do that than, than climb 30 feet up in a, in a, a straight oak tree if possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, I never think about how, how high I am. I look at like where I want to be and I look around. And I pay a lot of attention to the sun because, I mean, the key to being in stealth is being in the shadows, right? Yeah. And uh, I try to find out what's going to keep me in the shadows, what's going to allow a lot of back cover where I don't get skylined. And, you know, sometimes, uh, I mean, depending on the tree, I mean, I get in some weird trees. Don't get me wrong. I get, I'll get in some dead trees in a heartbeat. I got a dead tree down in South Carolina this year that I was I – <laughs> I mean, it, full disclosure, I didn't wear a harness because I was like, I won't be able to jump out of this thing if I have to. But I was only two sticks high. I was six, seven feet. Uh, and I had that situation happen in Ohio a few years ago, just the perfect setup. And I had a, a really cool young young buck. It was all palmated, but he was just like two years old. And But, man, I mean, he's going to piece of stud feeding it killed just because of how cool he was but he walked right under that stand and i could have reached down and grabbed him by the horns you know so there's so many things that that can benefit you beyond height in my opinion you know not to say i don't want to sell more sticks you know put eight 20 inches on on your pack you know but <laughs> but you know in re, in reality you know just use you know the surroundings to make yourself blend in better is, is my opinion mm-hmm yeah, and, and that it definitely blows my mind too the the weight you just said with your sticks. Um, you know, even say if you used eighters or if you didn't, just for four, say four sticks, you know, you're looking at what what is that less than six pounds or just over six pounds? That's like yeah, four sticks at a twenty inch is uh, four point four pounds. Yeah. I mean four point eight pounds. Sorry, four point eight pounds. Okay. <laughs> Like that's, that's absolutely insane. You know, thinking about that and with me, I've been, uh, just this last year I started using the saddle. So my platform weighs three pounds, throw that together. You know, I'm looking at under eight pounds for a setup. That's in, insane. Yeah. You know, it's funny, my buddy. Um, so I have two other buddies that are involved with, uh, with the company with me, my friend Jordan and uh, my buddy Tyler. And Jordan and I went to West Virginia last year for um, for an eight day hunt on some public land down there. And he was hunting out of saddle. I, you know, I've tried saddle hunting, not buying like saddle, but using my climbing harness and doing other things. And I had problems, especially when I shot my when I was shooting compound. I just didn't like the rope, you know, mess, you know, in my way there for my draw cycle with that. Mm-hmm. But um, but anyway, he but he um, he had you know a full tethered. Uh, he had a predator platform, his saddle, you know, all of his rigging. And then he had some, you know, the old school traditional three-step uh, lone wolves. And he was using, you know, a different pack. He had a Q U pack. And at the time I had, you know, I had my X, XO then. But I had my, had my sticks and I had, um, I didn't have a, my prototype stand with me then, but I had the Millennium M7 stand. And we went pack for pack, you know, with all our gear, and there wasn't much difference between the two, just because of how much difference those 
sticks weighed, you know, the old lone wolf weighed compared to, uh, to the, the carbon fiber ones. Like it was almost tit for tat. Like, he, you know, it was just, it was, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I can tell you, like, if things keep going the way that, you know, I see them going, like with products we have in the pipeline, it's about to be pretty, pretty interesting how white stuff's going to get in, in secure, uh, it's it's really cool. Like uh, I'm I'm pretty stoked about it from that perspective, and I am going to hunt out a saddle some this year. Like I've mm-hmm. I've been playing with a tethered saddle, and um, I like how they you know work. I mean, there's a lot of good saddles out there, but you know I found a way, and I shoot stick bow 100% now as far as, as far as archery goes, and I, I have no problem shooting out of a saddle uh, with that. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, um, I I saw again. I think it, you posted a picture of it you run your stick bow in a in a tethered saddle there which is is uh pretty neat i mean i i had experienced at the beginning like we were talking about the rope kind of feeling like in the way of my draw and I, I found a method to get to where i'm running the tether to where i feel pretty confident that i'm not not going to hit it in any way but uh it and it just it's, it's been a kind of a learning, learning curve for me switching over to, to running a saddle and platform versus before, you know, I was carrying stand and, and sticks that are, um, you know, not extremely, extremely lightweight, but I'm excited to see products like these coming out that, uh, will be nicer on my back. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean that, and just like how they set in your frame. I mean, I think you and I talked, uh, about, you know, and I know I've seen pictures of how you do it. I mean, it's similar to me, like how you pack your stand and stuff in. And that's another thing. Like a lot of these stands are just not compact. You know, everything for me, I want, I want my whole kit to fit in my torso. You know what I mean? Like I, I want my pack to be the biggest portion of, of, of what's behind me when I try to maneuver through stuff and, and weight plays a big factor, you know, obviously, but it's not as much, you know, like people get hung up on weight and, you know, I, I learned this racing bikes. You'd always hear people talking about wanting the lightest bike, and but they were, you know, let's say 20% body fat. You know, it's like, well, heck, you could just cut down on your diet, save a lot of money instead of buying, you know, a, <laughs> a bike that weighs a lot less. You know, like there's so many ways you can, you can lose weight in your system, but uh, compactness and packability is highly important to me. Like, you know, a lot of these stands you see, like the seat post and everything sticking way above your head, you know, when you're even packing your frame pack, um, which, you know, I think that's what a lot of guys like about the saddle hunting and, uh, it's fun, man. I don't know, you know, I've hung around and climbing harnesses a lot, you know, working roots on, you know, big wall climbing and stuff like that. Not really big wall, but like longer, you know, full day roots or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's okay. But like, I don't have, have you set all day in a saddle? Like, you know, a lot of my hunts, like if I'm on a, like a rut trip or whatever, you know, I'm going to hunt daylight to dark or before daylight to dark. And, you know, I don't move position that much. Like, is is it comfortable to you to sit, sit that long? I found that it's not any less comfortable than a tree stand. And I, this, that's fair. Yeah. This past year, I mean, I'm not going to say it's like, you know, sitting in a recliner all day or anything, but it's, it by being able to adjust the position of your tether and then I wear knee pads. So like I can rest against my knees against the tree, kind of in a sitting position. I can stand up. Uh-huh. I have different positions I can be in that allow me to adjust throughout the day. I'm tethered. I have their, they have like a, 
uh, it's called, I think it's called a recliner. It's basically goes around the lower part of your back to help give you a yeah. little bit extra support. And like those, those things, it took me, if it took me a few days to get it figured out. But this past year, I think it was six straight days. I sat dark to dark and I was in the same tree from morning till dark and I felt good with it. Um, so that was, yeah. that was nice. Well, you know, the thing, you know, like I don't, I mean, maybe people are tougher than I am or whatever, but after a few days of sitting all day, you know, like you're going to catch a nod, you know, through the day. And the one thing I noticed about even from climbing, you know, you have that rope that's under tension in front of you. You can put your hands on the rope and kind of just put your head down a little bit. Yeah. Like, and, and you don't have that fear of like, um, you know, in a lock on, you try to take a nod. You feel like you're going to, I mean, you will roll out of that thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, I, I do feel like there's a safety advantage to sleeping in a stand with the, with the, uh, saddle system. Yeah. Sure. I, it's funny you say that because the first, when I was first trying to figure out how to sleep in a saddle, like I knew that th- there was no way of me falling out cause I was in there, but it still felt like just right. weird. But then I eventually got a pretty good position that, yeah, I had my hands across the top of the, the tether where it, where it connected there to the bridge and, and just had my head tucked into it and kind of my knees either into the tree or wrapped around it. And if someone walked by and saw me up there, they would just laugh. But, uh, to me, it was really yeah. comfortable. <laughs> yeah. It'd probably make fun of you wearing knee pads anyway. That's true too. <laughs> yeah, I could my hear the jokes Jordan. already. <laughs> Dude, I, I, um, my buddy Jordan, you know, cause <laughs> You know, I just, I like to joke around and I gave a lot of my buddies a bunch of crap for being saddle hunters anyway, just, just to have fun. Yeah. And I told him, I was like, dude, uh, he trains jujitsu with me. Uh, we, we go to the same school and we were talking about, you know, going on our hunt and stuff. And I was like, dude, I am not allowing you to wear those knee pads walking in with me anywhere. Like you gotta <laughs> leave knee pads at home. Just <laughs> uh, like my, that's like, that's the limit there. Um, but you know, it, it's beneficial, you know, I guess to keep your knees hitting. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. I, I, and the thing is, put them, I, on, put them on with a tree though. <laughs> well, until I started using them, I'd be the same way as making fun of people that would be using it or making fun of my buddies and, and stuff. And it was, it was funny even the first trip I started using them or trying them was just this last November and uh, Chris Derrick from Sitka was out here out in Pennsylvania with me. We were testing some new gear, a, a new pack that's releasing for, for mobile hunting. And and uh, it, he was using a saddle for the first time. And, and, you know, I was still relatively new to it. So he went to uh, one of the stores and just bought a ton of different knee pads, like everything they had for roofing and things and trying to figure out what was the quietest and, and most comfortable. It was, it was really funny to see, you know, it even got weirder when I was wearing, you know, two different ones up in the tree, trying to, trying to figure out what was, what was right. <laughs> but, well, don't see but like with like, say the Sika, like with the apex pant, doesn't it have knee pads in it? It does, and they, they work fine, but the problem is is I can see that the material wearing away over time by rubbing up against the trees. Gotcha. I think that – because yeah. it's not meant for durability in that. And even like my, my Timberline pants, which are like my favorite pants from Sika, they're reinforced on the knees, but still – um, that's what I ran for the first half of the season. It was fine, but I could just see where it would wear away over time. So I just put external ones on 
And yeah, yeah. I don't know. Huh. I I'd thought about running even like a, a pad, like taking a um, a pad and like wrapping it around the tree instead of wearing knee pads, like just to have some sort of a cushion there. But I don't know. Yeah, there's a um, – I've met – I don't know if you follow him on Instagram. There's a gentleman, uh, Western Binds. Have you, have you heard of them? No. They uh, – he makes like this uh, – he makes a trad bow sling where it protects your limbs. And he's also making compound bone sling bow slings, but he made this glassing pad, which I bought one from him. It's like a heavy Cordura type pad. Um, I was going to use it for Turkey hunting, but honestly, you know, I, you know, I had this conversation the other day. I, I, I use a pack and I went back to using my crazy Creek camp chair just cause it had the back support and everything where I can adjust it depending on the tree to get lower. But um, that little pad he makes would probably be something that could eat because it has like mole. I believe it has mole roots on it, where you could put like a some type of um, you know buckle strap through there. But it's mm. cool and it's extremely durable. You know, yeah, um, that could be something to consider. Like if you don't want to carry like a thermarest, you know, not thermarest, but like those cheap uh, like uh, memory foam looking things out to the woods. You know, yeah, like the eggshell type pads. Yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, like I said, I gave I gave people a lot, a lot of my buddies crap about saddle hunting because it became, you know, my opinion for a while. You know, it was like CrossFit of the the hunting yeah. woods, and and you know, it's just fun. Like I'm like having fun. But my buddy Jordan came and helped me pack that buck out. That I killed an 18, and it was ways back there. And he's like, "Where, where's your setup? You know, where'd you shoot him from?" And I showed him. He's like. Okay. He said, we're, so he's like, you have a, a lock on stand that you've taken the seat off of and you're hunting in a climbing harness hanging from a rope. He's like, is that not saddle hunting? <laughs> you know, I, was like, I was like, no, not technically. Cause I'm just standing on the platform, but you know, at the end of the day, like when I get tired in that thing, I take tension out of that, my climbing rope and just rest in my, um, my, my climbing harness and mm-hmm. take a nap or something. That's, that's what I do. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, you know, like we can all say we do something one way, but at the end of the day, you know, it technically is the other. So it's no reason to make fun, but yeah, it's all good. No, it's, it's all in good humor. It's all fun. Like, like you said, I, I, you know, the, the trendiness of it at the beginning turned me off from it. And pro- it probably what took me so yeah. long to get in, get into trying it. And then I just kept like seeing more about it. I'm like, man, that would be super nice to have that lightweight. And I was just, I think I decided I was going to try it after it was the 2018 season. I had hunted uh, more days than I ever had, and I was just sick of every single morning hauling in all my stuff and coming back out and doing just like every night. It just was wearing on me. I'm like, I need something <laughs> a little bit lighter to to give a shot here. Yeah, or just less fidgeting, you know. Like I'm not trying to discredit lock on stands. I mean. I have, I'm looking at a lock on stand right now that I made and, uh, you know, but I will say if you go on these long hunts, like when I do some of my longer whitetail hunts, you know, nine, 10, 10 days, then you're, if you're mobile hunting, like I like to move a lot. Um, I, you know, I have this thing, I don't like burning a spot out or whatever and just keep moving deeper is what I like to do. If I know there's, if it's a new piece of land that I haven't been in much, I try to keep penetrating into the sign deeper until I find what I'm looking for. Um, it gets old setting that stand up every day. I will have to admit. And so there is a beauty of, you know, especially if you have pretty good, um, 
rope handling skills, like just climbing up the steps and slapping a, you know, a rope around a tree, a tether, whatever you want to call it, and just leaning back and you're good to go, you know, like, um, especially like I've hung out on my, just my stick, um, with a, with a saddle and I could do that easily for, you know, half a day, you know, uh, you know, and there's so many other little micro platforms that are out now that I think are pretty cool. And then, then you have, you know, the ones like the predator that, you know, they're a decent little size that you can get up there and stretch your legs for a little bit and ch- ch- kind of change the orientation. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it is neat, man. Like I, I think you always have to have as many, different tools in your tool bag to be successful and you can't just limit yourself and say i'm just this or that um you know because i mean there's still a place for climbing stands in my opinion because you can get up there like the best naps i've ever had in my life are in a climbing stand oh most comfortable you, that, that those are by <laughs> yeah. far the most comfortable stands you can be in <laughs> yeah not very at least the ones i was using never very compact Mm-mm. no no I, I bow hunting i used uh, a hand climber since the like the loggy bayou days, like there was a, uh, okay. and, you know, like I'm, I'm 40 years old. So I started, you know, a long time ago and always was nerding on stuff and, you know, cutting grass or whatever. I could afford to buy a new, new piece of gear, but always for bow hunting, I always liked like the real compact stuff, but for rifle hunting, I'd have the, the big climber with the arm rail and all that stuff. And, and even I never owned a tree lounge, but I actually hunted out of one a couple of times. My granddad's buddy had a tree lounge and I hunted out of it. And that was, that was kind of a sketchy feeling stand, but it was pretty comfortable. Do you ever see that stand? Which one was that? The tree lounge. Oh yeah. 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 My, uh, my uncle used to have one of those. Uh, I remember when I was young, he took me out when I was, before I was able to hunt up by myself, took me out in rifle season and he slept in that all day. Cause he just got off night shift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, like exposure, like 2.0 out of that thing because your legs are all kicked out and you're just laying up there, uh, <laughs> you know, 20, 30 feet because that was really like that dude's videos he used to do were awesome. He'd get like, what, 35, 40 feet up in a tree <laughs> yeah. and just kick back with a with a like browning bar 10-pound rifle laying across his legs. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so funny. And like the, the climber I used to use, well, I had some old steel one for a while that weighed a ton. And then I, the one I actually still have and use is an API uh, aluminum one that uh, it's an old, older stand, but it's light and it light for what it is. It just made a ton of noise putting it together and then climbing the cherry trees around here sounded like I, every, everything in the woods, you, you're not hunting beds with that. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> man, that way. We, we've become such a, a long way. It's, it's really cool. And, you know, it, it's fun. And if you're a gear junkie, now's the time to be hunting, you know, um, it, it's, uh, there's so many things out there for you. Yeah. What are, what are some other things, you know, this is kind of shifted gears a little bit on, um, the direction I thought this podcast was going to go to, but I, I can tell that you just, well, one with the products you're coming out with, but everything else that you're, you're gear junkie yourself. What are some different things that you're using in your whitetail system that, uh, you know, normal whitetail hunters wouldn't use, or I guess that don't use because they're not hunting the, the style that you are. Um, I mean, outside of the, the, 
you know, the stand and stuff, um, you know, I, I use um, a frame pack. Uh, I think that's a thing that a lot more people could be could utilize more, even for, you know, not hunting as deep as some of us go. I mean, it just takes so much um, weight off of, you know, your shoulders if you're using a good pack. So, you know, you think about like a lot of guys go on a week to two week and some guys I know take a month off to go on their annual rut hunt. And that's the the hunt they do every year. And even if you're going, you know, let's say, let's say a half mile back and you're doing it every day, you know, twice a day, depending on, you know, if you're all day hunter or if, if you're, if you're a morning and afternoon hunter, you're going four times a day and you're, you're mobile hunting, you're packing that load. If, if you're wearing a backpack that doesn't have some type of frame system that really puts that weight over your hips, like that's fatiguing, you know, to you. And so I use a, a frame pack for, you know, like I said earlier, like pretty much all my hunts. I mean, I hunt my, I own some property up here and mainly manage the deer there for my son, but I will hunt it every once in a while, just if I don't have much time, but even walking 200 yards, I'm still carrying that same pack because all my stuff's in there. Um, so, you know, I think a good a good frame pack, and I think people think I promote it too much. But I mean, I did a video on it uh, talking about it and some of the benefits, but it has helped so much because also, you know, you think about it, and I'm, if, if the state allows it, you know, dragging a deer out is one of the worst things in the world to do. Like, yeah, it takes me 30 minutes to break a deer down by myself, and, and then I can, I can take it a mature buck and put it in my pack and I can get out with it. I mean, depending on how far back I am, it may take me some time, but I don't have a problem getting a whole, a whole, um, whole white tail out of the woods. So, you know, that frame pack really comes into play there. If, if, you know, if you can break your deer down in the back country, which, and I think even in some of the States that have been against that are getting a little more proactive with it just because some of the CWD stuff is what I've heard. Like I'm not as in tune with that, but I have heard people talk about that. Uh, but hmm. I know m- most of the states I hunt allow you to break an animal down. So, you know, that's another place the frame pack comes in. Um, as far as, uh, you know, other things I do, I change my boots up. Um, I mean, I've ran for so long, I have really strong ankles. So I always wanted to go with the lightest boot uh, or shoe available. Like, I actually, I do a lot of early season hunting in, in trail runners. Um, and, uh, but then I was always just going to like a lighter weight, like, you know, hiker boot. But, um, I tore my ankle last year in uh, a jujitsu incident. And, uh, I think it was in April and I spent a lot of the year rehabbing that before I went to Colorado elk hunting. And, um, so I ended up buying a mountaineer boot just for the extra stability to get me, just in case I needed it, you know, cause I was still having some imbalance issues. Like if weight transitioned a little bit on that, even though I did a lot of work strengthening it, like I was having some imbalance issues. So I ended up going to a mountaineering stiffer sole boot, um, for that elk season and really liked how less fatiguing, less fatigue my feet felt at the end of the day. I mean, like, I mean, you, you do a lot of Western hunting, you know how it is like yeah. side hilling and going down and up. Like, if you get after it every day and you're backpack hunting, man, two, day two or three, man, like you just want to get your, your shoes off the end of the day. Like you <laughs> feel so fatigued, but man, by going to that stiffer boot, even though it weighs just a little bit more, I think it really 
you know, the, the overall benefit, kind of the same scenario, in my opinion, of what you get from going from like a, a backpack that doesn't have a frame to a backpack that has a frame, like far as fatigue goes, I think it played a, a, a big part in that with my shoe too. So I ended up um, white tail hunting the whole season with that, with that stiffer mountaineer style boot. Uh, and I'm a big fan of La Sportiva. Uh, that's kind of, they fit my feet good on my trail runners are La Sportiva. My mid, mid weight hikers are mid height hikers. And also, um, the, my mountaineer boots are La Sportiva. Hmm. Yeah, that, uh, that makes, that makes sense. And I, I wish I had, I don't know if there's something I can train with or whatever, but my ankles seem weak all the time. Even when I run or do whatever, like they always give out. So I've, I've been a fan of the stiffer kind of boot for a little while now. I have a pair of Loa's, uh, the Tibets that I've worn that are more like a mountaineering style. And then, um, and then also I got a pair a few years ago of crispies that, um, they're kind of a mixture. Um, they're, they're stiffer than a normal hunting boot, than normal leather hunting boot, but not not full mountaineering style. And uh, they have a little bit of insulation to them. So I've really liked those for like your November style hunts. Your feet aren't sweating like crazy getting in. But uh, also you, you have the, you know, the, I guess, agility and stuff as a of a hiking boot within it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, um, well, I'll tell you one little, I'm not going to say pro tip, but. I have a buddy that's a physical therapist does a lot of work on me. And when I tore my ankle up, the one thing he suggested to me was to start jumping rope. And I never really jump rope much, except when I, I did some kickboxing and we always jump rope and, you know, like Muay Thai class and I sucked at it, but I made it a goal because he said, he's like, jump roping will rehab your ankle better than anything. And I started doing it and it became a game because like jump roping, if you haven't ever done it, it's not easy. Um, you have to get the repetitions right and it's pretty fatiguing, but I jump rope now probably anywhere from five to 10 minutes a day. Like I incorporate into my workout that will strengthen your ankles and your calves. Like they're make you bomb proof, honestly, in my opinion. Really? Um, oh man, it's, it's crazy. And then it becomes fun, you know, cause like you can start doing, you know, like skipping and stuff like that. But, um, uh, you know, I guess another thing I do add to my um, kit that a lot of people don't, I don't like wearing insulated boots. Uh, my feet sweat pretty bad. I kind of quit wearing Gore-Tex for most of my boots because like they really don't allow my feet to breathe that well and they end up sweating worse. So I like a really good quality leather um, like my mountaineering boots are. And, and there's good synthetics out there too, but uh, I like I like a good quality leather. But one thing I do carry when it gets really cold uh, is overboots. I have um, a buddy uh, of mine uh, was in special forces and uh, he, he hooked us up with some um, overboots and um, those work out pretty good, man. Like they're just insulated. Uh, these are actually made by outdoor research, which they actually don't make. And, um, to, I guess to civilians or whatever, but they're like a Cordura based out outer, um, with had this foam liner in them. So what that foam does, it, you know, blocks the wind and keeps all that heat inside your, inside your boot. I mean, inside that booty, and you just slip them over your boots when you get in the stand. I mean, there's a few companies out there that make something similar. Uh, the only thing I found close that I'd like to try if these wear out is, uh, Western Mountaineering makes a really cool 
down uh, booty. And and if it gets really, really cold, I'll throw a hand warmer inside that booty, you know, in between the booty and my boot. And it, like, traps all that hand warmer heat inside there. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I, I do as well. Well, and what's – um so – I was hoping you were going to tell me a name of a, a brand that you could purchase because I, I've i been using uh, booties as well, but mine are from a company called Hot Mox that's been out of business since like 2013. And uh, yeah. they're, they're basically like a slipper, like you said, an overboot that goes in. I shove um, a body warmer inside each one of them on the top and I get in. Once I get in my stand, I put them on and they were great for me um for years now until i started running the saddle and i'm constantly kind of going around the outside of that stand that has some grip Uh, some grip to it and it's just it's not durable on the bottom it's some i don't even know it's like some really thin rubber material that's just getting just shredded i mean there's holes going through them now and and that's where i'm kind of trying to figure out what options i've seen those arctic shield ones and they're just big and bulky uh, just, I, I don't know what the, what the answer is there, but I, I need to figure something out. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the Western mountaineering, you know, Western mountaineering makes really good gear. Um, you know, gears are made for a different application. I mean, mainly what they make theirs for is for mountaineers that are, you know, camped up, you know, 30,000 feet or whatever, you know, 27,000 feet, uh, for when they're sleeping in their, in their tents at night. But I think, you know, maybe should bring us up to Aaron, but if they took like, like if Kafari took the lost parka material and made a booty out of it, I think that would be bomber. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, somebody, you know, maybe I should do that myself. Maybe I should be giving that away, but I think somebody, there's some money, uh, to be made for a, a good quality, durable overboot. And, mm-hmm. uh, that those junky insulate ones, you know, no offense if anybody listens to it, cells or you know, whatever <laughs> that th- those things are they're pretty much trash you know it's kind of like the the hand warmer uh little fanny pack things you know like there's there's some room for improvement there i found a really cool one this year that i'm gonna buy you, have you heard of that company first spear it's a tactical company uh no i haven't they yeah you should check them out online they make this really cool um fanny pack hand warmer thing that's it balls up into its own pocket so you can put it in your pack but it's made out of durable material. I mean, they're, they're not cheap. I think it's like 160 bucks, but uh, I'm actually going to throw one of those in because I don't like wearing bulky gloves when I'm, you know, bow hunting specifically. Yeah. Huh. And it, it's, it's funny you were saying about like the, the booty thing. This, yeah, that was something I brought up and to uh, the guys at Sika a while ago. Actually, a, a, another friend of mine came up with the idea. He's like, why aren't they, you know, coming up with something like that? And I'm like, no companies are doing it. And I'm like, that would be such a, um, you know, I don't know. I think maybe I'm uh, narrow-minded seeing that I'm in the, the space that I'm in, you know, with mobile hunting and the Appalachian Mountains and stuff. And I know that's not the majority of hunters, but... I just think there'd be a lot of people that could really benefit from that. Oh yeah. No, I, I mean, I don't think, I wouldn't say it's, I mean, I think more people, like you said, are mobile hunting, but you know, a lot of, you know, I would say a lot of people still are wearing like highly insulated knee boots, which, you know, I hunt the swamp some, so a knee boot can be very crucial there, but 
you know, a knee boot's not getting you far in these mountains. You know, they don't have the grip. They don't, you know, the ankle support's not as good and, and they're just heavy, you know? So, um, yeah, I think there's a market for it. I mean, sick is a great company that is pretty cutting edge on stuff, you know, obviously. So they would definitely bring the, the right level of materials to, to make, to make a type product like, like we're talking. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Or maybe, like you said, maybe that, uh, you need to come out with that. What do you think, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't do much sewing, but there's people here in town that do some sewing. Maybe we'll see. Hey, what did we talk about before this? If, you, if there's something you're not good at, find someone that isn't paying to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's like with my, my hunting products, like I'm not a machinist, don't get me wrong, but I know a good one that does all the machining work for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, Anyways, what, um, so what's coming, are you able to talk about any other things that are coming down the pipeline and, and what, what are you looking for as far as a release, uh, anticipated release date with these sticks? Uh, well, let's answer that. Cause I know that's like been, you know, the emails I get and everything or messages, the sticks are coming really soon. I mean, we're, we're down to the wire. Like, uh, like I told you earlier, I I had some stuff I'd analyzed that I need to be doing on my website, like some backend stuff. Um, so we are testing the website now to make sure everything's good to go with e-commerce transactions. And I'm essentially taking the sticks, uh, hopefully getting in next week to have them third party tested. Uh, and then after that, we should be ready to go. I mean, we have a, we have a sign up sheet available that people have been, it's been very humbling the amount of people that have signed up for it. I will say that. And we, we didn't make an easy sign up sheet. It wasn't like throw your name in here to get, you know, confirmation, like sign up for a newsletter. Like there's questions involved. And, uh, cause we wanted to get some details from people, but also like, you know, didn't really want tire kickers. You know, we want people that were serious about buying it to kind of get an idea, um, you know, to see what type of, um, release, you know, demand we were going to have. And it's been pretty awesome, the feedback we've gotten. So I would say um, definitely in May for sure. And hopefully by, you know, early May, mid-May, we should be ready to get rolling on the sticks. Um, We have a lock-on stand that we're working on. Like I have a, I have a hybrid stand right now that it's finished. Uh, I've hunted it and um, it's cool. Um, But, definitely made some head headway into making um a full carbon fiber one uh, besides the you know the setback and stuff like that but uh we i'm actually it's being worked on right now which is pretty cool uh, that was the number one goal for us but i i think everything should work out for that we'll see i mean the, the problem with it's going to be if it does come to fruition production of that's going to be a little bit slower um and especially in the beginning, you know, cause it's, you know, the, how you have to make it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. Like far as the number of units you can produce, you know? Yeah. So, um, we have that in place and, and we definitely are going to be working on some stuff for the, the saddle hunters too. I mean, um, we already have designs for that. So that's part of it. And, um, may even have something for the self-filming guys too. So we'll, we'll see playing with that right now. Hmm. Okay cool um yeah well um what so like i said uh, a little bit ago this 
the the episode took a little bit of a turn from where I was going to talk to you more about some of the hunting stuff, but I think we're going to, I think I'm going to have to get you back on closer to the fall and we'll talk some more, some more, uh, hunting styles of yours. And I'm interested in hearing about it, but I think for this episode, um, the, the whole geeking out on the gear, uh, took up most of the time, which yeah, I'm, man, I'm perfectly uh, okay with. <laughs> yeah. I like the gear, uh, you know, and like, I like talking about the company and, and, and the, um, and what we're going with that, you know, I mean, you know, the company, I, you know, I've really developed it, you know, starting it for fun. I mean, it's not like a big part of like my income And you know, one thing about the company too, that we didn't talk about is I am, we are going to be, we have a, a person and, and, and a full amount of attention going towards conservation. I and mean, we will be donating a lot of, proceeds back to conservation you know what i'm calling the you know we're calling the conservation pyramid you know touching all areas you know the wildlife side of it um habitat and also access so you know we are putting proceeds back to that and um you know we just want to have fun with it i mean the main goal for me with this company is um i would love to make just enough money to go on a sheep hunt and then my life would be set because that way, you know, that's my goal. My goal is like, I love white tail hunting, but I love hunting the mountains and, and I want to, I want to be a sheep hunter. I want to be a sheep guide when I retire early. And, uh, but I cannot convince my lady that spending $20,000 on a hunt makes sense. And I can convince myself of that, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd love to have some hunt talk. I mean, I like, I like talking about the company. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm very passionate about it, but I love yeah. talking about adventures and, I think you and I both have, um, hopefully some caribou hunts coming up this year Yeah, and, uh, that's in August and have a pretty full schedule. So yeah, dude, let's, let's do it. And, and yeah, I really appreciate you having us on. I, I mean, not just cause you have me on here, but, um, I think you do a phenomenal job with your podcast as far as the structure and discipline. And, you know, I know you, I know when I message you, you always message me about the same time I wake up in the morning, like four thirty or five. And yeah. so it shows me what level of discipline you have. And, you know, that, that just plays off, you know, throughout life or everything, you know, like Jocko says, you know, discipline equals freedom, right? Yep. Yeah. He's, he's one of the ones that makes me feel bad when I see his Instagram, if I don't wake up then when he takes a picture of his watch every day. <laughs> yeah. Roger that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But no, thank you. Thanks for coming on, Jason. And and like I said, that's why I, I asked you to come on. You know, we have a lot of similarities there and your products are super cool. I just wanted to talk about that and and uh, we'll, we'll definitely have you back on to talk more more hunting stories yeah, and adventures. Maybe the next one, you could, we could do it here in Asheville, you know. Ooh, ladies should come back to Asheville. We could do that. I know. I I definitely want to come back down when uh, it's a little bit better weather than than when we were down there in in February there. Yeah, yeah. Coming early fall, October's a great time. Maybe maybe uh yes yeah, yeah we're going down for you know a nice little uh, trip and then I'll go hunting. <laughs> yeah, dude. We, uh, I've actually got a bear hunt I'm doing with um I'm bringing uh you know Taylor Chamberlain. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know Taylor. So, Taylor. so Taylor and you know Adrian Wilson, Taylor guy too. Uh, I don't know Adrian, but I know Taylor. He, he goes. He goes by Big A on Instagram. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna have those two guys. We're gonna do a bear hunt uh, up on my property up here. We have a lot of bears, so they've never been bear hunting. So we're gonna be doing that in October. So you should maybe try to make that happen. We could definitely Ooh. hook that up. 
well, if um, if all these events and stuff get canceled the way it's looking like Total Archery Challenges that I was taking all my vacation for, maybe I'll have to make that happen because I'll have some extra yeah, days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope, I hope things get back to normal, but for sure. All right. Well, um, all right, Jason, where can people find some uh, more information on Timber Ninja Outdoors, these carbon fiber sticks and everything else? Uh, so the easiest currently is, uh, Instagram, Timber Ninja Outdoors, Facebook, Timber Ninja Outdoors, and then also on YouTube, uh, you know, those and the website, like I said, it's, we're down to the final, final moments and that will be, you know, timberninjaoutdoors.com. So that's where to find us. And we respond really quickly if you have any questions and, um, yeah, yeah. I just appreciate everybody's, um, you know, interest in our stuff. It's been pretty awesome. Awesome, buddy. Well, uh, we'll talk to you later, and, and thanks for coming on, Jason. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.